0: Hey folks, Nate here. You're listening to Critical Care, a show about games, community, and finding hope during a global pandemic. This is episode 6, featuring indie game dev Joe Rush of MoGraphy, the studio behind mystery puzzle adventure game Ginny LeCleu, Detective You. Enjoy.
1: My name is Joe Rush. I'm the owner of MoGraphy, a micro indie studio, and we've recently developed the indie mystery adventure game, Jenny Leclue Detective. and uh, I go by he or him.
0: I have some some questions about your your game. Before that, I wanted to just to check in, see see how you're doing, what what life is like now, um, and also uh, ask, I guess, where you're where you're calling from, since things are different all sure. over the place. Yeah,
1: uh, I'm in the west coast of the east coast on uh i'm in sarasota florida which is uh, on the gulf side i mean i think i'm doing pretty good all things considered considering we're in a global pandemic i mean my situation for the past five years i've been working on jenny clue full-time so i've been working from my home office all that time anyway so really for me the overall situation isn't like, my day-to-day isn't dramatically different, which is good, because I think everybody needs ha- habits and routines that are healthy, and so I have the routine. I was, you know, working six or seven days a week a lot of the time anyway, so I'm, like, just used to spending a good chunk of my day working and at my home office, so it's, like, that's actually a really nice thing to have in this time, because then it doesn't leave as much time to, you know, uh, read, read, get dive deep and reading news and people panicking about stuff and getting anxious about that one it's like most of that information I can't do anything with and we're already physically distancing and taking precautions and all that stuff so you know we're dealing with the anxiety and stress of that and family members uh making poor choices who are vulnerable and you know that's hard I have an aunt who's 85 and in New Orleans and she's in a like a retirement home and it's like the epicenter in new Orleans where kind of ground zero where Corona was happening there. And she had, you know, they're, they're all feeling pretty isolated right now, but she had like one of her neighbors come over yesterday and I'm, you know, I'm like, you're extremely vulnerable. What are you all doing? I know you're not as like tech savvy, so it's harder for you. You're not like FaceTiming and, you know, doing all that stuff, but you do have a phone, and you know how to use it. You don't have to take those risks. So that stuff's hard. Where I find that part kind of angering and stressful. Where the family members we have who are most vulnerable are making some of the, say, least smart or least safe choices. So that part is stressful. But I'd say overall, I think we're doing pretty good considering how stressful everything kind of is right now. How about you?
0: Uh, I'm I'm doing. I'm doing pretty okay. the The first, I've been working from home for about two or three weeks now. Time is an illusion <laughs> to me at this point. the first The first week or so yeah. was, was pretty anxious. Um, I've I've started to sort of settle in more, and um, and am and, and like rationing myself on how much news I consume yeah. so that I don't dive too deep down that hole because it's that's definitely yeah. a, a habit of mine. Um, I am talking to my cat a whole lot more. I don't know if that's good or bad, I mean, you
1: know, work from home a lot and we have a dog and I mean, I just talk to her all the time. So, you know, I mean, or crazy, or, uh, it's just a good, yeah. uh, general, you know, strategy when you don't have other people around. I mean, my wife is now here who normally isn't. Yeah. I don't think that's you know, a horrible thing to do. I'm sure your cat talks back anyways. Just don't always know exactly what they're saying.
0: She she screams at me constantly. Me being home and and her knowing that she can just ask mm. for food whenever she wants has been terrible. I'm trying to trying to keep her regimented, but it's hard when she's yeah. just screaming at me, waking yeah, me up at three a.m. <laughs> uh, my my cat's probably a recurring character nice. on the show already. Yeah, it's
1: a it's a you know it's a it's a hard time for people, especially people who weren't kind of already working from home. But it's definitely where I say if you're not already create kind of your own, be your own producer and create your own schedule and structure and try to like stick to that, like a routine. Cause I think that helps a lot, um, which I know is hard when other people aren't there to impose it. But when you can, I certainly find it, it helps me a lot. You know, when you're working on your own game for five years, mostly in isolation, you really got to kind of make sure you have healthy habits and structure in place.
0: Absolutely, and I am curious, um, I probably should have looked this up beforehand, uh, with your studio um, working on Jenny Leclu, is it just you, or is it, or are there other people involved with it?
1: Yeah, we've had other contractors work on the game, and my partner and co-creator on Jenny LaClue, Ben Tillett, is kind of the other core part of the team, and he's based in London, so he also has been working on this game for over five years, so... I'd say that's kind of the meat of our team, and then we've had some uh, freelancers help here and there, but pretty much all distributed and remote.
0: Yeah, so you've kind of you've got this down well before before we all started trying to to work from home. I'd love to dive into Jenny Leclue, uh, but right right before yeah. that, just so I, I make sure to to ask, uh, I am curious what you're what you're working on currently, since I know you you wrapped up this last game sometime last year uh, in the fall, I believe. Do you have any projects you're currently working on? or?
1: Yeah, so we're still also working on General Clue. We're working on a big update. We had really wanted to have voice acting, but we kind of put it on hold to get the game out because we partnered with Apple for Apple Arcade, and that sort of changed. Uh, we had to shift gears quickly on a bunch of priorities, so voice acting was one of the things that got kind of paused, and then we decided we really... Definitely wanted to add it now. So we've been, you know, we have almost, I think, 40 characters in the game, and we're sort oh, of wow. so we're kind of, you know, getting everyone together and sorting all that. And now we're I think we have most of the voice acting in the can and we're kind of going through the game and making the selects and getting them into the game. So we're working on a huge update that will have full voice acting in the game, and that'll be free for everyone who already has the game, and then alongside that we'll we're working on the port to this Nintendo Switch and other consoles. So we're hoping to release in, again, no idea with the whole, you know, coronavirus situation, yeah. but hopefully sometime in the summer, release Jenny La Clue on the Switch alongside with the Switch version and everyone else getting full voice acting in the game. So we're working on that immediately. We're also in pre-production on Jenny LaClue 2, game two, which is um, we intentionally ended on a cliffhanger at the end of, Jimmy Clue, uh, Detective U, and so we want to do the story. We we're originally going to do it in three games, and now we're going to do it in two because we made the first game about ten times longer than we intended. And then we're working on pre-production on a few other game ideas. Some inspired or sort of influenced by everything going on now, and some that had kind of been, you know, in my in my sketchbook and back of my brain for the past four years. So. We're working on a bunch of things.
0: Wow, that's that's really exciting. I'm I am, I'm am very excited. I the Switch feels like a great console for for a game like Jenny Leclue. So I think since I, I haven't been able to pick it up quite yet, I think I might. That's that sounds like the ideal place. I am very excited for voice acting. I didn't know that was coming.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we'd really wanted to do it, but you know we have uh, I think like fifty thousand lines of dialogue in the game or oh, something. Boy. So. And there's just two of us as the core team. So it's a lot of stuff to manage. And this at least makes it like, well, we're mostly just focusing on the voice acting stuff now, which is a lot less stressful for us. Mm -hmm. And we had really animated the characters and stuff in the game with the intention that at some point we would add it. So it really did feel like a living, kind of an interactive, you know, animated TV show or a movie or something. And this will really let us kind of fulfill that where, you know, we have text text boxes and you know it's a little visual novel style and you can read through the whole thing at your own pace right now but we're going to add a mode where you know you'll be able to turn that off and the game will just play like it is an animated movie if you want
0: oh that's that's awesome yeah i bet that i bet that would also be super popular with with maybe younger players yeah
1: and that's that's certainly a thing yeah we have some younger players who are interested but i can't imagine want to or necessarily could kind of read all the dialogue and i do think especially on the switch that's a good yeah nice benefit where we want that stuff but also it makes a little bit easier for some younger players to get into
0: yeah absolutely my my niece has recently got got a switch and they've been enjoying just throwing pokeballs and pokemon and stuff but Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of those games don't aren't as uh they're just kind of wandering around the one town Um, and i'm sure they'd love something like this they've been playing a few games with me so yeah i I am I'm super excited to, to show them this actually. I think they'd really be into it just based on the little I've played and, and seen of it. I you I know you're still working on on the game then. Um, but I I'm, I'm really curious uh, since you've you worked on Jenny Leclou for for what felt like a really long time. You said it was 5 years. Yeah. I I remember playing the demo and then just kind of every every so often I I remember and be just like oh is that game out yet and I look at it it would still be <laughs> nope. just waiting on my Steam wish list just sitting there which is a, a shame that I I, it, I missed it when it when it first came out but I, I'm really curious what what it feels like now having put that out there um after working on it for so long sort of what the response has been what it's what it's felt like personally I guess shipping a, a really big uh commitment like that
1: yeah I mean, it certainly feels good to ship it, but of course when we shipped it, you know, we didn't have much room for um, reflection because we kind of switched gears to triage where it's like, okay, we're doing all our launch marketing, we're doing all our support stuff on all the bugs people are finding in their kind of wider audience and responding to that and fixing critical bugs and stuff. So that was kind of a haze. Yeah, I think the critical response overall and from, players has been really positive i think it's definitely divisive lots of people are bummed that it ends on a cliffhanger but that we had consciously you know thought about it and i was like i think they're going to be people who are going to be mad but i really want this to end this way and we want to have a game to to wrap up the story so we're thinking of it like a season of a tv show and we're like i want you to want to see what happens next even if you're frustrated so i think we've gotten kind of you know we get that kind of response which isn't as good but I think basically everyone says I really anyone who gets the game is like I love the game until the very end and then I was really annoyed but I'm like if you got to the end that means we did our job which was to compel you make things engaging enough to make you want to see what happens next and get to the end so uh, I think really uh, really positive and it's, it's it's you know surreal that we occasionally could go on Twitch or YouTube and see someone playing the game and it's it, you know it feels very disconnected from all the work we've done but very positive you know and I still don't have enough time to be kind of have any real emotional distance from the game so it's like yeah. you know check in in a year or two when I'm like oh yeah we we made that thing yeah because we're making it so long and it I think of it like you know building a virtual pyramid where it's like the only way to build it is dragging one block at a time but that means you're really like your your way of thinking most of the time in your job is I'm a I'm a person who drags blocks, but have my eye on the kind of overall vision. And it's like that feels different than, you know, you're very intimately aware of it versus uh, people approach the pyramid and are in awe because, you know, they're not, they didn't see it built over a very long time, nuts and bolts. So it's like a very different, you know, like we had no idea what jokes were going to work or be horrible and whether the like fine line between mystery and just, you know, uh, frustration, where that was going to work and not work, and if our attempts to be clever and and leave breadcrumbs for things were going to work or be seen as you know totally random or just not noticed at all, you know, so it's hard to have perspective yet. But I'd say overall it's been really positive, and some people have sent us some very kind emails and tweets and things about loving the art and the atmosphere and um, the characters, and you know we worked really hard to make them feel engaging and try to tell you know tell a tell a story with our characters while also having kind of gameplay and puzzles that all work together so I think overall it, it, I'd say feel very good about it I mean if nothing else just shipping it and having so many people play the game as as an artist and creator just uh, that feels really amazing even if we don't really know how most of them responded to it or didn't but
0: that that's wonderful um yeah. that is yeah that is interesting the the response to the cliffhanger it I, I guess there's worse problems to have than people wanting more of 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 what you put out
1: yeah And i'm used to the gaming community responding when they care about something initially with kind of negative and harsh you know that's kind of their go-to on the internet is to love something so much that they're that they're uh they want more and so thus they're angry about it instead of like i loved it can't wait for more um, and that wasn't everyone but you know we had really considered it and i was like i want us to do you know the game will critically or financially do however it's going to do but we should still make sure this game is also for us so we actually <laughs> kind of struck a balance i wanted to leave things even more mysterious at the end but we answered some questions we weren't planning to originally, and then uh, decided, but let's go ahead with this cliffhanger because I'd rather you get to the end and and want to see what happens next, even if you're frustrated. So, you know, that is that is the the creative risk, but I'd rather do something that we're more excited about than just try to placate people because um, you know you can't make everyone happy.
0: Yeah, and did you did you always envision it as being a a sort of trilogy slash duology
1: we had initially we're gonna we thought of it kind of episodic like a telltale game all those years ago when telltale still existed but i mean i was imagining these episodes as an hour or two long and there'd maybe be three and we do the bigger narrative over the three things and then game one you know we got overly ambitious and now i think it's like a 10 plus hour game so really longer than we intended the whole thing to be. And so we were like, there's no way we're ever going to finish this if we put the whole game in one now. So maybe we can split the difference and do two big full games instead of three kind of smaller things. And then we'll be able to kind of wrap wrap up the bigger narrative we want, but also have these kind of bigger story game thing. So it was always envisioned as at least three kind of episodes or three games and then it grew, so now it's two. I think of it like, okay, it was going to be like three novellas and now it's going to be like two novels or volumes where you're actually getting more story and content um, but over less chunks, but still still split. There's only two of us and we're like, we don't want to spend 10 years making the game, so let's get the first one out and then try to get this second one out in two years instead of five because now we've at least got you know, we've kind of defined our world and we know where we want to go and we've got our our characters exist and our world is roughly defined and, you know, so we're not starting from complete scratch at least.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting, the the book comparison, because it isn't something you see in games very often Our kind of deliberate structuring of of different games. Like obviously there's an inordinate amount of, of sequels in games, but it feels like, often come after the fact, uh, rather than like directly leading into one another. I remember when I first played the Banner Saga and got to the end of that, which also ends on a cliffhanger, um, and I was pretty confused until I looked up and it was a. It was always planned as a trilogy, which was really yeah. unusual uh, for a thing to see in a in a game. I'm curious why we don't see more of that. I don't know if it's just because of the. The difficulty of making games, planning them out, might be a bit of a risk.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think the uncertainty, right, for sure, is you never know if you're going to get to make game two or three for all the reasons. So I get wanting to make them self encapsulated, mm-hmm.
0: but it is it is cool that you're 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 managing to uh to actually follow through on that. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see yeah. how that that all comes together. If it ends up ballooning again accidentally, and you do three games after all, or what?
1: Well, you know, we have 5 years of experience now and we have a better sense of how to scope how big we want the game to be. I'm sure we will still because we want every, you know, we were big on not having backtracking in game 1 and we're big on making every moment feel rich and all of that. So we're we're definitely aware of kind of the labor involved and and where to kind of spend our resources so, you know, we're we're at least better at estimating we want it to be this long and have this many environments and and this is where the things happened. And before we were like, we're doing st- strictly from the story first. And we're like, we don't know if we're going to have 40 environments or 10 environments. And, you know, really, we should have thought about it as a play, as in you have this kind of budget for how many sets you can do. So um, as you're writing the play, maybe consider how many set changes you really can afford before, you know, the quality starts to drop or you need another 10 years to do it. So. Or at least a little bit, little bit more seasoned about how we want to structure and, and kind of budget the development of our game in terms of our resources.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a cool way to to think about it. I haven't thought about game environments as sort of set changes, but it makes a lot of sense because you do have to you have to build each scene. You can't just go out and, and shoot in a different room the the same way you might in a film. Yeah. Uh, not that they don't have to build sets and stuff as well, but it is yeah. it is a. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good, good way to think about it. That...
1: I always think that people who do live a- action think, oh, it must be so easy to make games or animation because you can just make it exactly how you want. And then people who do games and animation go, oh, it must so- be so easy to just find a set where everything's already together uh, like a location set and just shoot what's there and find the best things instead of having to make every little thing. And it's like the truth is both, both heavily overlap. In different ways. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's super- and both both can be horribly tedious. Right?
0: Yeah, it's it, art is hard, <laughs> whatever the medium is, yes. is is what I've discovered. Yeah, you mentioned partnering with Apple Arcade. Um, I, I was curious uh, about your, your your feelings about that uh, when it first launched. I heard a lot of a lot of buzz about Apple Arcade. A bunch of the games on there were mm-hmm. getting picked up, even ones that maybe come out before, and people just had noticed until they they popped up on apple arcade uh and i haven't heard as much about that since then um and i think that's kind of the mood and this is kind of a larger question i guess not just about apple arcade Mm -hmm. um but that's been i've been interested uh interested in sort of the role of subscription services sort of starting to to actually get serious traction in in games yeah because before like about the only thing that there was was stuff like gamefly that was more akin to like a blockbuster or Netflix when it had DVDs by mail. But now that we, digital is, yeah. is so common, uh, we see stuff like Microsoft Game Pass or Apple Arcade, or I think uh, EA has their own service now.
1: Yeah, and Sony's had their PlayStation now, weirdly, for, for a long time. But I think it's just kind of quietly flown under the radar, which I think theirs was streaming like Stadia. Yeah. Um, Whereas I guess that is kind of both. Is that right? You can stream and kind of
0: download? Yeah, them? I'm not 100% sure. I think they, because I, I know they, they bought on live, which was like a very early attempt to do game streaming. Which
1: I remember using that, which must be 10 years ago now.
0: Oh my gosh, was it that long yeah. already? I also remember it. I mean, using it must have
1: been, because I remember it was before I moved. Uh, I was still in New York, and uh, I was like, oh, this is amazing. And uh, then it just disappeared. But it actually worked really well at the time, and I liked that you could just sort of dive into other people's games to watch, which is, again, funny because, you know, there was Twitch was not Twitch yet or was fledgling, but it was also that thing. So you could jump into your own game, but you could just jump in and watch someone else play. You know, at the time, it was like one of the Batman games or something. You could just see this huge kind of window of videos and just jump around, which I wish Twitch had that had that kind of nice interface which it doesn't quite have but it was like a nice mix of being able to instantly play your own games and instantly jump into watching other people play
0: yeah I remember it being super super interesting to play I gosh I can't believe it's been 10 years but I, I do remember uh, installing it and loading it up and my internet wasn't great but even then yeah. just because I was I was I had like a, a pretty cheap laptop that couldn't couldn't play anything. But being able to go on there, and I think that's how I played like the intro of Bioshock or something that probably was pretty scary for me at the time because I was like, I don't know, 13, 14, however long ago it was. But yeah, just that being able to instantly load something up that otherwise would be unplayable. And I do remember yeah. jumping around to different people's games, which is one of the sort of promises of Stadia, I think, that they actually haven't rolled out is being able to to see and jump into people's games yeah. immediately which is interesting that on live sort of did that so long ago
1: yeah i just had to look up because i was curious and it does say the beta went live september 15th of 2010 so it really was almost 10 years ago Oh my um, gosh, which is crazy because that's where i got kind of jaded because i'm like you know it was early then but i was like oh this could be the future but even now stadia feels to me a little bit Uh, Like the idea of streaming the stuff feels not ready, at least in America where broadband, I don't have stable high bandwidth connections um, and lots of people like I have a data cap now where I am. So like that's not ideal to me. And it's just easier to have a PlayStation 4 or a a souped up computer (laughs) than it is to be constantly streaming the game, even though I do love the idea of the kind of instant access Theoretically, uh, yeah, the high-quality hardware, where you no longer need your own local box, and you just need a, essentially a streaming device.
0: Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting seeing. I know I, they've kind of. It feels like Google's kind of moved away from from Stadia since launch, and it didn't really pan out the way they expected to. But it's going to be interesting oh. seeing how they try and expand that with. Because I feel like it's going to end up being kind of a a fight between them and ISPs to to make this feasible cuz currently like I yeah I have a data cap I live in a rural area where I can't get amazing internet um like it's fine for for Netflix but for yeah. anything else it's like I I don't I don't yeah. think I would want to I would feel hesitant to to purchase games on a service that if if Comcast decides that I don't need Data anymore than that they're just gone. Um, So it's going to be odd,
1: and and it feels strange because like you know Netflix uh, can buffer and all that, but it's like the games require a kind of real time input and feedback system, and lots of players are very um, want really low latency, especially if they're playing any kind of action or competitive or online game. And it's like that seems like a challenge that's like seems like you're picking the wrong course to bet on with that at least now like i assume that is the future but that it's like i mean at least in america because you know we're it's a huge huge place it's a lot of infrastructure you have to set up for that to be reliable and it's like it just doesn't seem like that's realistic whereas maybe in japan it is where it's a much smaller you know country by comparison and i think they've got pretty saturated and pretty reliable very high speed internet where i'm like oh it totally makes sense for there but like america to me it's like I don't know you need another 20 years or something (laughs) like it just feels like our infrastructure it's like you're building amazing sports cars when we still have dirt roads you know or only some major cities have nice roads and everywhere else is dirt roads and it's like well the sports car doesn't really make sense you know if you're trying to get around the country or something you need a a four-wheeler or something like it feels like that thing where it's like even Google, it's like, uh, well, you're not putting enough weight behind it, and you made it kind of a weird, like, buying the games on there definitely feels like, I think everyone went, ooh, when they made it that instead of just a, like, Netflix kind of a la carte service, which I know they're also kind of working towards, but...
0: Even even OnLive had that, I remember, because I, I debated yeah. signing up for it, even though my internet could barely sustain it, just because I was like, I can pay ten dollars a month and just play all of these games that i have no hardware for so it is a a weird there's so many stadia it could be a whole conversation and and it's a whole other It's it's very weird
1: yeah it's a weird model i'm trying to think it's like it's like you're having to buy someone else's car and then pay for the gas and then at some point they might take their car back but you don't know when Like, I'm not sure what the, quite the metaphor is or analogy, but like, it's a very, like, I think it's hard for people to get behind when there's a lot of other good options now, right now. But I do think that is the long-term. I think everything is clearly moving towards a Netflix buffet style subscription model. We already have them. I think it is going to be that. I just think it's not the live streaming thing. Like, that's where I think Xbox, Microsoft is, is being smart, where I think you can stream some stuff, but you definitely, right, are like, oh, these games are available to download. They're just part of my Netflix thing, um, my subscription, right? So you can, so you just download like you bought it from the store, you know, Gears of War or whatever, which then sort of gets around that issue, but lets you kind of have 50 games or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're doing in the opposite direction where they're just now sort of, I think their streaming services in beta or alpha yeah and you can do that for some games but most of it is just you download it as if it was any other game and then if you want to keep it after it shuffles out of the the circulation you get like a discount on it circling back then to Apple Arcade
1: i was going to say they're also doing that model which i definitely think is the smarter model of kind of all you can eat with this and then downloading
0: yeah and i and i'm curious what what the experience with that was um, for your game since I haven't been able to. I've talked to a lot of people about the experience of playing the game, but I haven't heard mm-hmm. as much, I guess, about the experience of actually being on a streaming s- or subscription service um, and mm-hmm. how that compares to like releasing on Steam. Yeah. I guess if you had if you had stuff that you, I don't I don't know what you're allowed to talk about or not with Apple. Sure. But uh.
1: Yeah, there's lots of uh, there's not mostly specifics I can't talk about under the NDA, but. Generally, I can say they've been an amazing partner to work with and really just amazing. I mean, I had talked to a lot of different publishers and through the development of the game and kind of the longer we went, the less I was interested in partnering with a publisher um, where it just felt like no one was kind of offering anything that made it worth partnering. And then Apple came along with kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and it was such a, a generous partnership that that we were like, there's just no, you know, I'm glad we held out kind of the perfect publishing partner and a wonderful platform. And, you know, we had already planned the game from the beginning to be on iPads and iPhones. So it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like, Whoa, I don't even know if our game will run or work on this. It was like, well, we were already going to do this and we already have a relationship with you. And um, this is kind of ideal. And they were happy to work with us, you know, cause we had done a Kickstarter. I was like, you know, we obviously still want to deliver, the game on the computer to our kickstarter backers and they were really good about working with us and you know they wanted to support us in any way they could so i was able to bring on our first choice as a composer with their support scientific who had done the music for like after party and oxen free and a bunch of other great games and so with their help we were able to have our own composer and our own kind of original soundtrack which we weren't going to be able to afford before they came along so like I mean, for us, it was just kind of life-changingly great. Like, I can't say enough good things about that as, a de- as like, an indie developer. I mean, Steam is like, hey, you know, pay us money. And we went through the green light thing when that still existed. And, you know, they're like, we'll let you sell your game here and we're going to take 30%. And that's kind of the support we get from Valve, you know, because we're not a huge AAA game and uh, we're not a, you know, it was always going to be a niche game. So I would say world's better on uh, partnering with apple than any of the other kind of platforms where they're basically taking a cut which uh i wouldn't say is you know i think 30 percent is a lot for an indie to host your game and you know i'm long been aware having your game on steam at this point it's not i mean that's not any kind of guarantee of sales you're going to bring the audience like any other developed platform i mean you know that kind of ship has sailed seven years ago when there were just enough indie games that you really could do well and and they could feature them as they did well. And it's, you know, there's just too much stuff now. It's like anywhere else where discovery isn't great and those things aren't going to be sold unless specifically they feature it. But then you have to choose to kind of gamify, trying to reach the front page. And um, I didn't necessarily want to do that. And not saying we would have been able to even if I wanted to do that, but you really have to kind of, play the metrics game to try to to get that that sort of self-reinforcing statistics and it's not something that Valve was Valve was never going to just feature your game unless you were already selling lots and lots of copies for them I definitely think Apple Arcade has been great for us I mean you know people who are paying for it I don't I don't know what their response is but I mean I think think it's pretty great I think for they priced it very well and uh, there's a lot of great games on there that I would have bought on other platforms and we'll probably buy another copy on other platforms like the Switch but like it's great to be like it's there day one and I also can just try it since you know nobody wants to do demos anymore it's like well if nothing else this is like a really affordable demo service and then I can keep playing the games I like
0: the demo thing is is also really interesting uh especially cuz Jenny LeClue did have a, a demo which yeah i felt was pretty substantial yeah. as far as demos go it didn't just feel like you Taken like the first chunk of a game and just and chucked it out there uh with a random yeah, end none screen. of that's
1: actually none of that's actually in uh genetic clue detective U. it was for us it was really our own kind of we wanted it to be as a thing for other people to play, but it was for us to answer some questions and and try out some things about how we wanted to build the game and what we wanted it to feel like and look like and how we wanted it to work, so really, we kind of did it for us first and And we want it to serve as its own kind of little standalone narrative slice that if you played both games, you could sort of start to draw connections narratively, but things would be very mysterious so really it is it's not even like a vertical slice, it's just its own standalone game. really should have just released it as genuine clue episode 1, because it was a lot
0: yeah, yeah, that is how i I remember it uh, how much how much of the the game kind of Continued on from like that that not quite proof of concept but that like episode zero sort of that you, you put out. how much did it did it change from those questions that you were answering?
1: Mm. Yeah, it, I think it informed for us we wanted to move away from it's sort of inspired by you know point and click adventure games, but for us, we wanted to hybridize it with other other kinds of things, and it, it made it clear for us we wanted to frame the game as much as possible. As a narrative exploration adventure game, and and try to avoid the framing of a point and click, um, which you know I think some people still expect going into that, and I understand that, but um, I think for us it made it clear that I wanted to be able to make the world bigger, but that mean- meant we need to do some things technically, like we make like I started making modular art kits so we can make much bigger environments, because that one was done kind of classic point and click, where you know the background is kind of few layers in Photoshop and it's kind of a one-off custom thing, which is great because we can really noodle it exactly how we want, but it uses a lot more resources in the game and kind of limits how big the environments can be or how many things you can do. And I wanted to be able to build a bigger world with more space for kind of exploration and discovery. So it informed a lot of that, that we wanted to uh, build on that a lot of the things we were doing in that we kept and built on and then some things were like okay we need to change or evolve this process so that we can do kind of a more ambitious scope of game so you know part of me as as the artist is sad that we lost some of that level of super custom perfection but you know we have a much bigger world and we still really customize it you know but built these modular tools so you can make you know infinitely long Objects and then light them how you want, and add details and things to make them feel more custom. But they're built on this kind of modular art kits, so you can reuse things and make many things out of a few things, which I feel pretty proud of. But um, and Ben was really good at. Uh, we modified some some tools and made our own tools so that we could again uh, make things feel more custom. Like Jenny has her own custom lighting system where we've. Kind of hand illustrated these these kind of fake lights, but they're illustrated because you wouldn't get this with like normal maps or any kind of three D lighting thing. And then our own kind of system to in game change her lighting in this custom way that makes it feel really hand done, but still allows us to kind of again do a more broad system than having to make all these tons and tons of little variations. Just like in the in the uh, playable teaser. She was all rendered sprites, and we're like again we want to be able to get right up in her face and have close up shots and really see her emote and combine all these expressions and if we do that with sprites, I mean just the overhead for that is massive. so we switched to kind of a 3 d two and a half d kind of rig system so that we could have a really high res textures for her and you could really all the characters really you could you know put the camera wherever you want and It doesn't become super blurry so you're not distracted by that but also it's really resource efficient and lets us combine animations and stuff so there's all that kind of technical stuff we reworked based on that where we're like we want to be really ambitious and we uh, with the camera and we want the game to run on everything like we always knew we wanted it i mean even that's on the iphone and the ipad we're like we want it to run on you know the oldest iphone and a ps4 and we want it to be the same core experience so we definitely did some technical work there
0: wow yeah that's that's incredible yeah i've 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 done very limited work trying to make like reusable sets and sort of systems that allow to sort of build other art pieces and and design programs and it's not it's not easy um putting that together so i'm, I'm really yeah. excited to to dive into the full game
1: yeah, so some point I'm going to do some more tutorials about, or not tutorials, but kind of behind the scenes about how some of those systems work. But yeah, it was really fun to go, okay, we need like, I want to make like a tree kit. We want to have these three types of trees and we want to be able to have tree stumps and broken trees and spooky trees and trees with tons of limbs and all this. And then building kind of technical art where it's like, you should be able to take these six pieces and make 20 different looking kind of trees that all feel like their own thing you still have to lay out you know and all of that but it at least means the the texture memory for it is less and it can be higher fidelity and it just takes a, a little bit of extra a lot maybe a lot of extra work but like doing that stuff was was actually really fun to kind of figure out how to be clever but then also make it so it feels like you really do have a lot more variety than maybe is there so, you know making your lego blocks and then making them so you can make all sorts of different things with them.
0: I'd Love to, to see more about the behind the scenes of that. Continue talking about this for, for ages, sure. uh, but we are running up on time. So I'm going to let you go. Where, where can people uh, find your, your work um, or find you? Uh, where, where are you on the internet?
1: I'm most on the internet on Twitter at MoGraphy underscore Joe. That's M-O-G-R-A-F-I underscore Joe. We also have a Jenny LeClue Twitter that's pretty active. Certainly Jenny LeClue is on Steam, GOG, and Apple Arcade right now. So people can play that there and pretty soon, hopefully, on the Switch and then the PlayStation 4 and eventually the Xbox.
0: Closing out, uh, one thing I'm asking every guest to do is just kind of to shout out something cool or, or fun, just something that has brought them some joy uh, recently. Um, it can be anything pretty much.
1: Oh, no, I got I got something uh, I'm excited about. So m- small story is I've been, over these past few weeks, my nieces, they live, uh, I'm in Florida and they're in New Orleans. I've been doing every couple of days a remote kind of drawing art class session with them over FaceTime, which has been really fun. And um, related to that, there's uh, these two comic artists, the Etherington brothers, I don't know how to pronounce it, but. They, they make these awesome drawing tutorials and they put every one of them free online. And then I think once a year, they do a Kickstarter where they print books of their series called How to Think When You Draw. And they're really awesome. And they're so good at, at making the tutorials feel fun and accessible to all ages. And just a few days ago, I think probably as part of this Corona thing, they put together a like 50, they made a junior edition. It was like 50 drawing, you know, how to think when you draw tips for kids and adults of all ages, and they put out a PDF online and shared it. And I think you know, I've sent it to everyone with kids I know, and it's like, uh, this is a great resource. You can print it out, but all of their stuff is amazing. But I would say find the Atherington Brothers free 50, you know, 50 page how to draw or how to think when you draw guide. But, you know, I think on their Instagram or their Facebook, they post a tutorial every day and they just have the int- all of their stuff there just for everyone. Like it's an amazing kind of resource and they're so generous with that. And they're really good, like accessible to normal people and really valuable insights.
0: Wow, that's, that's incredible. I, I will absolutely check that yes. out, um, both for myself and also I'm sure my nieces who are incredibly <laughs> bored right now as they're out of school um, and are yes. driving uh, my sister up a wall i'm sure they would also they would they would also love to do this because they love to draw well thank you so much joe for for coming on this has been a ton of fun i hope you and yours are doing okay in all this and i'm very excited to see what happens with with jenny lecleut in in the future
1: cool yeah thank you for having me it's great talking
0: critical care is produced by me nate kunan with music by desired you can find desired on bandcamp at desired.bandcamp.com i'm on twitter at nate Kiernan, and you can keep up with everything critical related at critical.com if you like the show maybe share it with a loved one and if you're able consider supporting the work of my wonderful guests until next time stay safe stay home and remember this is not game over we're still fighting and we're gonna get through this